0: And to the other groups that also participated there. Uh, I'll just give a special quick shout out and thank you to uh, America's grandma, Patty Atkinson, who uh, came to clean the floors for us earlier this week on Monday. Uh, Jessica, I assume this is yours. Thank you for that. (laughs) If it's someone else's, thank you instead. Um, I am going to do something that I almost never do, and every professor I had in college would be terribly afraid right now. Um, so I'm going to apologize to Andrew, and I, I'm just going to like freestyle for a second here. Cool? No slides for this one, Andrew. I'll let you know when we get going. So we've been, we've been doing this thing, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus', Jesus most well-known, his first and most well-known lesson. And in the middle of there, this was a few weeks ago, we came to this verse. It's in chapter 5, verse 48, and, and if you've got your Bible, you can flip there if you have a device. I, I just want you to see what happens here, Okay. At the end, he gets done talking about, you know, just all these sort of moral issues, how to live. And he says this verse that's pretty daunting. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Does that sound like a difficult command to anyone else here? Be perfect just like God is perfect. I mean, Dale's crushing it, but the rest of us are in trouble, right? (laughs) The word perfect is translated from the Greek word telos, or telos, depending who you ask. What it means is to fulfill your purpose. He's saying, fulfill the purpose for which you were created. So when he says be perfect, he's saying, seek out what you were made for and do that. Be that. Your purpose, I want to tell you, is bigger than growing up to earn a good living. It's bigger than integrating and being a productive member of society. Parents, we have to be really careful not to teach our kids that this is why you were made. Grow up, go to college, get a good job, have a good life. Your purpose is something much bigger than that. So what is my purpose? What, what am I made for? What are you made for? Why are you here? It's a fundamental question. You're created to glorify God, okay, I can believe that, right? If God made everything kind of the way like an artist might make something, right? They, they make a painting as an expression of what's inside of them. God created the universe and everything in it, including you, as an expression of His goodness and His glory. I, I get that. I can appreciate that. But how, how do I do that? Flip, I'm flipping over to chapter 6, verse 33. We're going we're gonna to come to this today. Uh, at the end of our section, it says, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Everything else you will need will be added to you. How do you glorify God? You seek first his kingdom. This is what you were made for, to seek God first, to seek after him, to seek after his glory. Okay, now, I have spent 45 years uh, running around looking for it, I'm looking for it. Whatever it is, the thing that's going to make us happy, peaceful, fulfilled. And wouldn't you know it, once you get it, it turns out that it is something else. (laughs) Has that been your experience? Jesus says, here's the secret. Here's the answer. Seek first my kingdom, my purpose, and everything else will be added to you. Okay, so I just, I just lay that all down as kind of just a foundation for where we're going to go today. Uh, one of the things that's become very real for me over the last few months, I'm just going to set this right here, is that uh, I get a limited amount of time with you each week, and I love to like, tell stories and jokes, and, and I enjoy all of that. Hopefully a few of them um, you found amusing over the years, but I really want to make sure that this time is useful to you because you're going to go out into the world that doesn't care about my jokes and my stories. Thank you for pretending like you do all these years. But it needs to be real for you. It needs to make a difference for you. And so that's, that's where I want to go today. So allow me to just make a cultural analogy, something you, you might be familiar with. You remember the TV show that was pretty popular just a few years ago, Fixer Upper? You guys remember that show? I think it's still online somewhere if you want to pay for it, but I certainly don't want it that bad. Uh, so you know Chip Gaines, the greatest personality in television, in my opinion, and his wife, Joanna, they would, take, uh, they would take these houses, some of them were just kind of dated, but some of them were like super dilapidated. They would take them and they would totally restore them and rebuild them into these beautiful modern homes. Right? It was pretty amazing. I, thought, I always thought, you know, if I had like skills, I might do something like that, but I don't, so I'll just, you know, live through them. And in the end, what they would do at the end of the show, you might remember they would have this huge giant before picture of what the house was like before they fixed it up. And they'd bring the homeowner and they'd put them right in front of the picture. And then Joanna would say, hey, y'all, y'all ready to see y'all's fixer-upper? And they'd pull the picture open and there's the new house. And it's amazing. And the people would be so moved sometimes emotionally because what was once broken down is now beautiful, is now rebuilt, is now restored into its original purpose to be a meaningful home for these people. But somewhere before that happened... You might remember, quite often they would go down into the basement and they would be looking at the foundation and you'd see, sometimes it was good and Chip would be like, hey, this is sweet. Let's get to work. Let's restore this place. But other times he would say, we can't build anything on top of this foundation. We got to get this thing right before the, we got this foundation solid before we can do anything else. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like a fixer upper. Sometimes my life feels like a fixer upper. I mean, it's not awful. It doesn't need to be totally torn down. But sometimes, I need to just get down, take a look at the foundation, and really evaluate. Like, can I, can I build on this? Like, the things that I'm chasing, the places that I'm looking for happiness, can I actually build on this? I just gotta get down there and be real with myself and be, be totally honest. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I like the second part. Give me the desires of my heart. That part sounds really good, but, but what's up with the delight yourself in the Lord? Like, how, does that, how do I do that? What, is, what does that mean? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing us this is what it looks like to delight yourself in the Lord, to seek after his kingdom and his righteousness, to pursue him and trust him to add all that other stuff. Okay, we have a ton of cover, to cover today. I already used a bunch of my time. I'm not going to back up and try to reestablish where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. I just want to say this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, here's how you build your life on a solid foundation. Okay, that's, that's what he's teaching us. And at the very end of it all, he's going to say, whoever hears these words, whoever hears my words, whoever knows my words and puts them into practice, they will be on a solid foundation. Okay, so, so today Jesus is going to confront two things that are so relevant to us One of them is money, material, possessions, the things we work for in our life. And the other one is anxiety, worry. A couple of things that are maybe more relevant in our society than they have ever been anywhere else. So we're gonna go to Matthew 6, verse 19. I'll read out loud. If you have your Bible with you, please feel free to read along. It'll be on the screen otherwise. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, rather, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the key verse of this section for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's, it's true without fail. Where your treasure is, whatever's most important to you, whatever you're banking on for happiness, that's what your eye, what your thoughts, what your heart is going to gravitate toward. Verse 22, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. What's that? mean, what's he talking about the eye? He's talking about what you're looking at for fulfillment, what you desire, the thing that keeps catching your attention. If what you're pursuing, what you desire is healthy, he says, then the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what's the key verse in this, this whole section right here? Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's that's the big idea of this section right here. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, we, I say we, including myself, I think we often anticipate that some material thing, some earthly thing, is, is going to do something for us if we get it that God never intended for it to do. And I think quite often we even know it doesn't have the ability to make us permanently happy, but we still want to test the waters, still want to find out anyway. Material things were never meant to do certain things in our lives. They were never meant to be our source of security. They, they just, they're, not, they're not ever intended to make us feel like, okay, now I'm fine. Now everything's okay for me. But how often do we tend to think, well, if I just have enough banked up, that will equal, equal security in my life. That's, that's the way we're trained to think. Material things, they're not meant to be our source of security, they're also not meant to be our source of identity for ourselves or in the way we judge other people, the way we assess their value. Uh, This happens all the time in a million ways. Some of them are really dumb. I am an iPhone user. Who here is an iPhone user? All right, good many of you. Way to go. We're on this team iPhone. Who's an Android user? Hmm, interesting. All right. Like, wouldn't that be a dumb criteria to judge people's value on? And yet we do it. Like I see somebody using an Android, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Right? Like this this is how we work, though. So that's just a dumb example. But we do it in more important things. I'll just be really transparent with you. I'll just float this idea. Don't raise your hand for this. You ever see somebody maybe hanging out on a street corner, somebody who obviously is in a much worse position than you are, and maybe not think this explicitly, but kind of internally just be like, glad I don't have their life. I'm better than them. You ever have that feeling, that little feeling of pride? Glad, glad my life doesn't look like that. That might be a little too raw. Don't raise your hand. Third thing, material things are never meant to be our fundamental source of joy. Okay, we, we look to them in that way. We all like new stuff. We all like nice stuff. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Moral, stuff has no moral quality. So don't hear me saying that. But this one is really easy. Uh, especially if you have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, like young people that you, you just love and care for. How, how, what's better for you, to get something new or to see their face when you give them something new? Right? That's, a, that's a thousand times better. I probably shouldn't say this out loud in front of them, but I love to give my kids stuff. All right, just pretend like I didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> Brandy and I have four nephews and one niece, and... Um, it is impossible for us to go see them without Brandy giving them something. Like if she buys one more thing for them, we're probably going to have to move in with one of you all. This is, Patrick and Jessica's boys are three of them. They go here. The other day, we went to their house. We see them all the time, right? They're, they're in our church. We live in the same town. We see them all the time. And Brandy just had to go with enough candy for like 45 kids, <laughs> equally divided into three bags. Why? Because of the joy that comes from blessing them. Of course, having stuff, acquiring things wasn't meant to be our fundamental source of joy. We all, we all understand that. They just weren't, material things just weren't meant to be our source of security or identity or our fundamental source of joy. It's important to understand because one thing we know about all things material, all things in this life, is that it's temporary. None of us is getting out of here alive. Hope that doesn't burst your bubble. That's the way it works. And Jesus is teaching us to see things as they truly are, to build our lives on solid rock, not on shifting sand. So he says, if your eye is healthy, the whole body would be full of light. Okay, well, here's the thing. The, the, The word that's translated healthy right there, I think probably helps really get your head around this. It's the Greek word haplous. And what it means is if your eye is seeing clearly or fulfilling its function properly, if your eye is accurate, if it's seeing things for what they really are, if your eye sees things as they really are, you'll be able to separate temporary from eternal. You'll be able to discern what is ultimately good and important, and then your desires will be properly focused. Delight yourself in the Lord. See clearly what is temporary See clearly what is eternal. See clearly the kingdom of God, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And just to make the point clear, Jesus says, you can't serve God and money. So he sort of sums it up. Um, you know, we're trained in our society to think that having money equals a good life. It's, just, it's, just, it's in the doctrine of our political environment. Uh, we, many of us, most of us maybe, spent the bulk of our childhood being trained to go out and just improve and increase our earning potential. Because as a responsible parent, I know earning potential is what will equal a good life. Like, that's just a myth that goes all throughout our society. It's just not true. Now, here's why I say that. Money can improve your position in life. It can buy pleasures or comforts, but... There's just no correspondence between wealth and happiness. I say that because this verse is not simply for rich people. We hear this verse and we think, oh yeah, those people with money, they definitely need to hear this. The verse is not just for wealthy people. I know people who are incredibly greedy, but not particularly wealthy. And I know wealthy people who are extraordinarily generous I know wealthy people who understand that having money doesn't equal a good life. Wealth is a resource which we either worship and give our lives to the pursuit of, or it's a resource that we steward for God's purposes. This is how how it works. And this is why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The thing that's most important to you, that's your God. And there can only be one of them. It's kind of a hard teaching, isn't it? Kind of, kind of tough, especially for us, because the reality is we live in a day and a time where we just have a lot relative to, to everyone else who's ever been. So here we have this instruction, lay up treasures in heaven. How do I do this? It's really fascinating with Jesus because he personified this instruction. Uh, I, I think I am aware of just about every ancient document concerning Jesus. There's probably some floating out there that I haven't seen, but but all of the early documents that sort of document Jesus' life, and you know what none of them says? That he was rich, that he had like a, you know, a house up on the hill. Uh, Jesus had this incredible influence or status, but he never monetized it because what he was doing was keeping his eye on his heavenly treasure and allowing God to meet all of his needs. There's so much more that we could say about about that. Money is just It's so significant to every one of us. Uh, It's just a factor in the way we live, probably why Jesus talked about it so much. Let me just wrap that up and say, my hope is that we won't get caught spending our lives in pursuit of material things that cannot last, building our house on sand, okay? But you know, greed isn't the only problem that comes along with money. Money has other potential pitfalls, and one of them that is super relevant right now in our world is anxiety. Uh, We have a number of people who make their living as counselors, therapists in our church. And this this is like your conversation all day, every day, the amount of anxiety that's in our society. This particular group of people is generally very generous. I actually have very little concern about most of us falling into the pitfall of greed. This is a generous group of people. Anxiety is a much more real threat to our internal peace than that we're more likely to have anxiety about money than we are to think that it will make us happy. Because, you know, there's bills to pay, and Christmas is coming, and housing prices are crazy, and the stock market's going the other way, and college tuition. Over the next eight years, Brandy and I will always have at least one kid in college. Uh, So you tell me if there's any anxiety about money around here. And Jesus has this really simple instruction, okay? If you got any, any anxiety about money, you know what his instruction is in the next verse? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. That's it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. He didn't say don't do anything, but he did say, do not be anxious about it. Easy for you to say. You're Jesus, right? Let's read this part. Verse 25, Jesus is talking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on? Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? My wife is deathly afraid of birds. That's pretty much the only thing I know about (laughs) birds. My wife hates them. (laughs) I've never seen a bird wringing its feet. They call them feet. I don't even know what they are. I've never seen a bird behaving in a way that was, like, particularly anxious. I just know they go around, they pick up bugs and stuff off the ground and eat it. Then they fly away for a few months and they come back. They don't seem to have any particular, like, strategy about what they're doing. And yet, birds have been around forever and ever. They just keep coming back. God takes care of them. And they don't seem particularly worried about it. Verse 27, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing, the cares of life, the common stuff? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, but they neither toil nor spin. They don't do anything. And yet I tell you, even Solomon, the most glorious king in Israel's history, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, there they are downstairs. They told me that they want us to hear them. That's their goal. So, so be sure and tell them that you heard them. Jesus says, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That last line kind of sounds almost like Jesus is saying, like sort of giving us like a corrective sort of fatherly spanking there. You of little faith. I actually think he's saying even a little bit of faith. Won't God will God take care of you even though you only have that little bit of faith? You can trust him even, even if you just have a tiny little bit. I'll tell you an area where I have to put this into practice. Uh, it affects all of us, but perhaps me most of all and, and probably a few others. Uh, we came, Center Church, we came to this building uh, with the possibility that we'd be able to purchase it, purchase it. And many of you know that a few months ago, uh, we made a formal offer uh, to buy this building from the group that owns it. And a couple weeks ago, a representative from the group came to me and let me know that the building will not be for sale. Not let's negotiate an offer, but just let me know it's not for sale. Not for sale. OK. Um, and so, you know, my response was a little bit of disappointment. But um, here's the thing about this particular issue. Like, Center Church is my, work's lo- my life's work. And this particular issue is shortening that life. I'm quite sure of it, right? I've just been, I've been trying to deal with this issue for way too long. Um, And the question is, why? Why? Why am I worried about it? Has not God provided every single day before this one? Why would I ever think that tomorrow he will somehow just decide, yeah, I'm cutting you off, cutting off your allowance. Why would I even think that? Jesus has given me a very clear instruction. You know what he says? Don't worry about it. It's not yours to worry about. It would be like one of my kids coming and just saying, you know, Dad, electricity is getting pretty expensive. I'm kind of worried that we might not make the heat bill next month. Um... Don't worry about it. That's not your problem, right? You don't need to worry about it. I remember once Micah was a kid, and some of his friends were going to go do something. I think they were going to go to Silverwood or something. And I caught wind of it, and I was like, buddy, do you want to go? And he's like, yeah, I just didn't want to ask because it was really expensive. And I was like, buddy, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, it's expensive, but it's not your problem. And that's kind of how it is with God, right? Yeah, there's plenty of things you could be worried about, but what is he telling you to do? Don't worry about it. So what about you? Okay, now that I just let you know, this is my baggage. What about you? What are you worried about? What causes you anxiety? Where does your stress come from? And what would Jesus tell you to do with it right now? He might say, I see your need, and you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to worry about it. Verse 31, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. The word Gentile right there, it, it technically, the strict definition of it is it means someone who is not Jewish, but Jesus is using it in a broad sense. He means, he means even people who don't even know God as their father, they seek after those things. People who don't trust God, people who don't have God looking out for them. They're worried about these things, but that shouldn't be the case for you. For the Gentiles, people who don't know God, they seek after all these things. They worry about this. And your heavenly Father, he already knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." What do you need to let go of? What, what do you need to just let God have? What do you need to stop being anxious about it? Okay, so we're going to practice this together. We're going we're gonna to pray a little prayer together. Okay, you ready? You ready for this? Um, think of the thing that you worry about, the thing that gives you the most stress. Maybe you don't like to think of it as worry because sometimes I like to think, yeah, I'm a, pretty, like, I'm a pretty put-together person. I don't worry about stuff, but I do stress about it. And that's the same thing, okay? That's just your form of the same thing, okay? What causes you to feel that tension inside? Maybe uh, there's just a particular problem in your life. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who's just in a bad way right now. Uh, Maybe you have this really important class that you're struggling with. Uh, Maybe there's a financial need. Maybe you have a really demanding client who's just driving you nuts and you just want the situation to go away. Or something totally different than all of those. What is the thing that you worry about? Okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that you could just take that anxiety and hold it out in your hand, okay? We're going we're to get crazy right now. I want you to physically do it with me, okay? You got your stress? You got your worry? All right, I'm looking at you, my daughter. Play along. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's keep it real. What are you worried about? What causes you stress? Imagine that you're holding on to it. And I want us to read this prayer together. It will be up on the screen. Heavenly Father, I hereby release my control of the universe back to you. Just let it go. He didn't say do nothing. What he said was don't worry about it. Your worry says I'm banking on me to come through in this. Letting him have it says I'm counting on you to come through in this. Heavenly Father, I hereby release my control of whatever back to you. Do you feel better? Because we could do that over again. I felt like you were kind of noncommittal. <laughs> okay, I want to encourage you. Okay? Sounds weird, but just do it in the privacy of your own home, and you don't have to worry about it. Maybe you need to sit in your chair tonight and think, God, I'm giving this to you because I can't carry it any farther. And maybe you just need to physically hand it over, make the gesture. Okay. He cares about you more than he cares about anything else. He will take care of you. Okay, so he's told us what not to do. We got a couple things not to do. First thing Jesus told not to, us not to do is don't let yourself think, don't buy into the myth that storing up wealth and material possessions is somehow going to leave you satisfied in the end. The bottom line is wealth and stuff are great, but they just, it just doesn't have that kind of power. It just can't do that. It's just not possible. The second thing he says not to do is don't give, don't give yourself to worrying about physical and material needs. Don't be anxious about the cares of life, okay? So we know what not to do, but what should we do? What does he say to do? He didn't say do nothing, so he gave us some alternatives. The first one is to store up treasure in heaven. Seek things of eternal value. Delight yourself in the Lord, Okay. Jesus doesn't want to take something away from you. That's that's not his goal. What he wants to do is set you free from spending your life in the service to a cruel master of materialism, of anxiety. So he says, store up treasures in heaven, which will ultimately be satisfying and last forever. What he's saying is if you're spending your life looking for it somewhere else, it's not there. You're going to keep searching store up treasures in heaven. The second thing he says to do is seek satisfaction in God's plan and let him provide for temporary material needs. Jesus said it really simply. Uh, You guys familiar with the acronym KISS? Keep it simple, stupid. You ever heard that one before? Uh, Okay, Uh, I'm just gonna take the last S off because I think you're all very intelligent people. Uh, Okay, so keep it simple. Jesus says, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about your life. Jesus gives us this really simple course of action. Don't be anxious about it. Not do nothing about it, but don't be anxious. Don't live with anxiety. Instead, delight yourself in the Lord. Okay, so what's the big idea? Is it don't be greedy and don't be anxious? Well, that's certainly in there, but I don't think that's the big idea that Jesus is really communicating. I think it's much, much bigger than that. In fact, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us the big idea for everything. And if you've been here at all over the last couple months, and you haven't heard me say this, I'm offended because you've clearly not been listening. (laughs) Chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And he says, for contrast, in verse 26, he says, whoever hears these words and does not put them into practice will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. What's the big idea? Build your life on the rock. Build your life on the solid ground, okay? Most of the things that we work for are destined to end. That's just a reality of life. They're destined to end sooner or later. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And if you have... I can't even imagine why it would be. None of it goes with you, okay? Everything is destined to end. Most of the things we worry about, we either can't change, they're gonna happen whether you worry or not, or more likely, they're never gonna happen in the first place. Aesop famously, maybe not that famously, he said, my life has been full of catastrophes, most of which never happened. Isn't that true? Like the things that we worry about, most of them don't come to fruition. And then after all that working and stressing and storing up, our souls end up smaller and still wanting. We're still trying to find it. So Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their life on a solid foundation. When the rain fell, the trouble came, the floods came, and the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So what will you do? What will you do? Uh, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do in my situation. You can decide what to do in yours, and then Pastor Rick's going to come and kick us out. Um, I'm going to seek and delight in God and seek and delight what matters, delight in what matters to him. That's what I'm going to do. As it pertains to this church, yeah, we've got to deal with this building situation, but I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to take action. We're going to make our plans, so on and so forth. But, but I'm not going to worry about it. So, I want to give you an example of what I am going to seek. I received a letter. It's kind of an open note, really, to all of us as a as a church family, um, from someone in this church. You know, sometimes life kind of blows up in your face, and you end up places that you never meant to go. And, and you know, we all kind of encounter those proverbial house fires in our lives. And, and those are the moments when having been invested in Christian community becomes really, really important. So I want to read this letter to you. The title on the top of it is, What My Church Family Means to Me. Five years ago, my life went into a tailspin. It looked like there was no way this could end well. I was facing divorce and the possibility of losing my son. My family as I knew it was coming to an end. The weight of this stress consumed me and it was all I could think about most days. I spent the next four years wandering. It felt like an eternity. Exhausted and out of options, I leaned into God and my church family. God's timing is always perfect, and nothing is going to stop God's plans. And at just the right time, he placed me with the right people. He placed the right people into my life. My brothers and sisters in my church family have a lot to do with why my life is at peace today. Many have prayed for me, and for that I am so grateful. You have been compassionate and encouraging. I have new life-giving friendships and relationships that have come from this journey. I'm a better version of myself for having gone through it all. Today, five years later, I can say that it has ended well. Divorced for almost a year, co-parenting is going very well. My relationship with Christ has grown and now blossomed into a new direction, allowing me to use my story to help other guys who are working through similar storms. Five long years later, I look back and I am full of gratitude for God's work in my life, and for this church family around me. Thank you all. Matt Groppner. Thanks for writing that, Matt. Appreciate your transparency in that. I'm going to seek more of that. A new building doesn't solve that. It doesn't have the power to do that kind of thing. I'm going to delight in things like that. God will provide the material need. If that's the fruit of this church community, I will take that and more. Yes, our team is going to make short-term and long-term plans. Uh, We'll be sharing those with you in the weeks ahead. But as for me, as your pastor, I'm going to seek treasure in heaven, fruit that will last. I'm not going to be anxious about the material things. I'm just going to seek what glorifies God and let him take care of meeting our needs. Amen? Amen? Are you with me? So what will you do? What will you do with your situation? Let's be a church who hears the word and puts it into practice. Pastor Rick is going to come. I just want to say today, go out and live life on the foundation of God's Word. That's what I want for you. Pastor
1: Rick. Thank you, Pastor Kelly. Yes. Uh, This verse comes to mind as we wrap up this day, and I just want to read it to you. I've read it to you a bunch of times over the past few months, but it was such a capstone idea for what Pastor Kelly was talking about today through the Scripture, 2 Corinthians 9.8 Nine eight says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The testimonies and the sermon you heard today are reminders and proof that that is not a lie, right? That that is not a lie, and it will continue for this church. Okay, go ahead and stand up with me. Real quick, a reminder, fill out the Connect card. If you came prepared to give, you could do digitally, or if you want to do it in person, you can drop that in the red box as well. And we certainly hope that you will come back next week for our continuation of our foundation series on Sermon on the Mount. Let me pray for you. God, thank you again. Seal this time in our hearts. Take this, let us hear it, let us know it, internalize it, let us put it into practice. Let us give up the thing we're holding on to that is yours and yours alone to deal with so that we may live in a way that is free of the burdens that aren't ours and with the challenge that you've given us to go and to make disciples and to love people in a way that only you can create in us. May we be those people. Help us to build our life on you, Jesus, the rock. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a good week. See you next week.